the volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. Are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act <laughs> by the, the sink a lot. lot. Yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disciplining you <laughs> in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www. 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Lakers Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. I am Jason Timp. Happy Sunday, everybody. I hope you all had a great 
weekend. Lots of really interesting basketball to get to today. We're going to break down the Lakers game in its entirety. After that, we are going to get into that crazy intense game between Phoenix and Philly that got a little out of hand late, but had some interesting stuff going on. James Harden had another really, really bad night. We're going to dive into that a little bit. And then for those of you guys who stick around for the end, we're going to talk about the Timberwolves getting yet another opportunity to try to prove to us that they are the real deal and struggling against the Boston Celtics. And then at the end, I want to talk a little bit about the standings. We have some couple of really, really interesting standing situations at the top of the Eastern Conference and at the bottom of the Western Conference that'll be extremely important to watch over the course of the next couple of weeks. But let's start with the Lakers. I understand that it there's a, a, a desire to, to paint a, one picture about this game, you know, blown 20-point lead at halftime. And while on the surface, that looks really ugly. And I do get that. I don't want to undersell that at all by any stretch of the imagination. I think that people have to understand that these types of games are almost always a war. That's not about one battle. There's ups and downs. And there are usually swings in momentum one way or another. And the New Orleans Pelicans have a lot of advantages over the Los Angeles Lakers because of the injuries to Anthony Davis, because of things like Dwight Howard, suddenly, you know, this is he, whatever he was in 2020, he's not that anymore. He used to be a guy that the Lakers could depend on every single night to be a pretty darn dominant backup center. Not that guy anymore. Even when he has days off like this, he just looks really slow. There was a hilarious play in the first half where I believe when you actually was in the second half or when you Gabriel threw a push ahead pass to Dwight Howard and you see Dwight like try to hit the Jets to try to catch up to the ball. And you're like, oh, man, he just looks like he's one season too long in the NBA. When you look at down the roster, some of the personnel shortcomings of the Lakers, it's inevitable that they're going to have long extended stretches where things go poorly. And today was exacerbated by the fact that Russell Westbrook, even though he had a good first half, started to struggle in the second half. And then a lot of those athleticism advantages started to wear the Lakers down. In the first half, LeBron comes out gangbusters. We're going to talk about him in a second. Another good, uh, not even good, amazing LeBron game. That is something that we should take as a positive with this team moving forward. But the Lakers also battled in a lot of the physicality areas of the game to start. The Lakers out-rebounded the Pelicans in the first half. They that That was an example of effort that's coming in with a feel of intensity and an understanding that... Uh, uh, they, there was uh, in the beginning of the game when everything was going in the Lakers' favor, you saw the Pelicans didn't shoot the three ball particularly great to start the game. LeBron's making 30 footers contested off the catch. There's a lot going on in the early parts of that game that was advantageous to what the Lakers were doing. And so you knew over the course of the game, there was going to be a point where that turned on them a little bit. And in the second half, all of a sudden, a lot of those rebounding issues went towards the Pelicans way. And when you look at the roster down the line, there's an athleticism advantage there that's kind of insane. You've got, like, especially towards the end of the game, you notice this. This is something I talked about a lot with the Boston Celtics. So when the Celtics are running out their lineup with Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Robert Williams, or, or, or the, whoever it is that they have out there, there's not really a weak point for you to attack. Everyone's tall. Everyone's fast. Everyone's athletic. You have to have something that you can go to 
uh, you have to have somebody that you can attack and there's just, it's just hard to find an option. And you saw with the Lakers tonight at the end of that game, Brandon Ingram had great options. He's like, let me attack Austin Reeves here along the left wing on a big possession. And I'm going to just shoot over the top. Okay. Next possession down. I got Malik Monk on a switch. I'm eyeballing him at the free throw line. I'm facing up. I like my chances in that scenario if I'm Brandon Ingram. But on the other end of the floor, the, the athleticism advantages that the Lakers are going to aren't as great. They're running out there with a lineup with Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones and Trey Murphy all on the floor at the same time. When you've got three dudes that are between 6'8 and 6'10 with super long arms that run really fast, and they've got Valanciunas underneath the basket doing so well uh, as like a backline defender, it's just tough. And there's, again, they have somebody you can attack, right? It's CJ McCollum. You've got this guy in CJ McCollum that you can attack, but that's the one guy in the lineup and the overall lineup has so much length that it's too hard for them to, it's too hard for them to find easy opportunities. You know, that's why I was talking about the difference between a Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant matchup and how for Jason Tatum, he's attacking easy matchups, but Kevin Durant's coming down and he's attacking difficult matchups. Even though Tatum's not as good as Kevin Durant, that matchup advantage is something that will manifest in that head-to-head matchup. Same for tonight with LeBron and Brandon Ingram. LeBron James didn't even have a chance to, uh, LeBron James didn't even have a chance at the end of the game to attack matchups because they threw a ton of length at him. And at the end of the game, it ended up being a lot of Malik Monk and a lot of Russell Westbrook. That was the example of that defense and their ability to make the Lakers do something they didn't want to do while on the other end of the floor, the, the, the Lakers were giving good matchups to the Pelicans to attack. That w- that's always an interesting phenomenon in these games. It's not, it's not just did your star make shots and did their star make shots. A lot of it's Who are they attacking? Are they getting one-on-one opportunities? You'll notice on those late possessions with Brandon Ingram and Malik Monk, or Brandon Ingram on Malik Monk, or Brandon Ingram on Austin Reeves, the Lakers did not send help. The Lakers did not dig in and double-team and try to force someone else to beat them. They let a very good offensive player operate on an island against shorter defensive players. And no matter how hard they try, it's going to be an issue. I was a little concerned with that at the end of the game. I would have preferred to see the Lakers at least do something to try to get LeBron on C.J. McCollum. I know it's hard because if you run ball screens, sometimes they'll trap. But there are other ways to work around that. You could set off ball screens to try to get a switch. You can move the ball in transition to try to get up the ball quickly so that you're not walking into a set defense. There are a couple of different things that I wish I would have seen the Lakers do better. But in that second half, you saw all those advantages that New Orleans had kind of come to roost. And a lot of the disadvantages from the Lakers come to roost, right? Like, The Lakers are not a very athletic team. That started to hurt them. Russell Westbrook has been playing well. I had him in my notes as a major positive after that first half because of that little flurry he went on in the second quarter that's just like vintage Russ. But as we know, this season, you are what the whole season says you are, not what just one little short stretch of basketball is. And in a little short stretch of basketball, Russ was really good. But for the vast majority of the season, he's been bad, and he wasn't very good in that uh, in that second half. I can't look at that as some sort of outlier performance. That's kind of what you're getting with Russ this season. So if, if, if the old Lakers manifest, meaning you know it's all LeBron on offense, Malik Monk and Taylor Horton Tucker, yeah, they can make plays, but they're also volatile and they're going to do silly things like stay, take stupid shots and, and make mistakes and things along those lines. I get 
I totally, I totally understand why things went the way they did. So I'm not going to be as much of a doomsday sayer in this case. Now, when we're looking at the standings, and we're going to talk about this uh, uh, with the Eastern Conference as well, but as we get down the stretch here, the Pelicans, the Spurs, and the Lakers are all kind of vying within uh, – this could go either way here down the stretch. And so what, there's a lot at stake here. So for starters – the Spurs are only a half game back of the Lakers now. So if the Spurs are a half game back of the Lakers with the Lakers upcoming schedule, they got to play Denver. They got to play Phoenix. They're, they're, there's a bunch of tough games just in this next week. There's a chance before Anthony Davis gets back that the Lakers actually slip out of the playoff picture entirely. And that's tricky. I don't know what to make of that. That's going to be, that's going to be something where you're going to have a lot of pressure down the stretch. If Anthony Davis comes back and the Lakers have like five games left and they have to go four and one or three and two or whatever to get into the postseason, that adds a whole other element there. So obviously today hurts, but there's one gigantic footnote. The Pelicans announced the other day that Zion Williamson is out for the season. Zion Williamson's not coming back. There are no reinforcements there. What you see with the Pelicans is what you get. And they're going to be tough to beat at home, which is why this stretch in the standings is so important. This game was important because any chance the Lakers have to get uh, to nine instead of 10 is the difference between making those young athletes from New Orleans come to Staples or to the Crypto.com Arena and win a huge road single elimination playoff game, that's a different deal than you going to New Orleans where young players especially feed off the crowd or athletes especially feed off the crowd and that becomes a really dangerous environment and a game that you can very much lose. So that, that, that's what makes this so important down the stretch. But again, the Pels are not adding anybody and the Lakers are adding Anthony Davis to this. That's a huge reinforcement. Now we were talking about how over the course of that game, advantages for the Pelicans took over, right? And it ended up swinging the game massively. Russ declined at the same time as a lot of the Lakers athletes declined and Brandon Ingram started making shots and CJ McCollum started making shots. Next thing you know, you blow a 20 point lead that happens. But how does that same progressive fatigue? How does that same wearing down? How do those advantages materialize if Anthony freaking Davis is on the court? For instance, the Pelicans, until the last few minutes of the game when they were getting the ball out of LeBron's hands, they couldn't do anything with LeBron James. There was a lot of talk this week about Herb Jones and his athleticism and whether or not it'd be able to bother LeBron. We have an answer. No, it does not. LeBron had 39 again, and it was seemingly getting to whatever shot he wanted. Okay, so we're not worried about any specific athleticism matchup with LeBron. Anthony Davis, it's going to be the exact same thing. Anthony Davis has taken, taken these traditional plotting centers, guys like Jonas Valanciunas. He's eaten guys like that for lunch for years. Okay, so that's another example of where when this matchup, they play the Pelicans again later this week, I believe on Friday. And let's say they play him again in the play-in. That the next time these teams face each other, there's going to be a whole different physical dynamic. And this is where that, that, that concept of slotting becomes so important. As soon as Anthony Davis gets plugged into the Dwight Howard role, where Dwight Howard was playing tonight, especially in a bigger quantity, because he's going to play like 35 minutes, right? As soon as you slide Anthony Davis there, that takes Dwight and either kicks him out of the rotation or puts him in a very tiny backup center role. So now you took a bad player who is actively hurting 
uh, who is actively hurting the situation, you're taking that guy and getting him out of the lineup. That's a huge plus. Now, uh, I'm now taking LeBron out of having to play center for massive minutes over the course of the game, and I'm getting him into a uh, a role where he's playing center in small minutes, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes and to where when he's in that situation, he can really devote his energy to the defensive end of the floor because he doesn't have to stress out about having to do it for 30 minutes. And then he'll still have those opportunities in the open floor to do everything that he's been doing so successfully offensively. Now you take Wenyan Gabriel. Instead of Wenyan Gabriel having to basically be your athleticism on the back line, now he's alongside Anthony Davis. Now that Anthony that that athleticism, instead of him trying to jump over Jonas Valanciunas, Anthony Davis is eating up Jonas Valanciunas, and Wenyan Gabriel is now trying to jump over forwards and other players that are not way bigger and way stronger than him. That's what the concept of slotting is, and that's what's so important about it. You have to have people that are in their proper roles. And right now, with Anthony Davis out, everyone's batting outside of their. Uh, uh, outside of what they're capable of, and it's causing it's causing a slotting issue for them right now. Anthony Davis is coming back. It'll make that matchup more interesting. For those of you who are just joining us, this is Lakers Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at the Volume. We were just talking about the uh, um, uh, we were just talking about uh, the Lakers situation in the standings. I wanted to talk about LeBron for a second because this is getting absolutely crazy. So. We talked about this right after he decided to sit out the Philly game about how he needed ammunition for a stretch run, how he needed to recharge the tank, to recharge the batteries, refuel for this stretch run. He got a nice little six-day stretch here to get his legs ready. This, like I talked about, these are wars. Like this game tonight, this up-and-down, long 48-minute battle. Well, it's going to get even crazier here down the stretch with even tougher opponents and with even higher stakes. First, fighting and jockeying for position in the standings, and then potentially a play-in game. But what is exciting is he looks physically ready for it. There were several stretches in this game where when things were teetering, when LeBron was able to hit the gas physically to start to get stuff around the basket. He was one of the, the big advantages, like I talked about, the, the, the Pelicans have an awesome athletic front court of wings, right? You have Herb Jones, Herb Jones you have Trey Murphy, you have Brandon Ingram, all these lanky 6'8 to 6'10 guys that are athletes but none of them are strong. There's, there's a huge difference between the wing in the NBA that's like a Jay Crowder, P.J. Tucker, hold their own with like a really low center of gravity and a ton of strength to fight you off of positions. Those kind of guys can wear a guy like LeBron out over the course of a series with physicality. It's going to be the opposite as he's going against these thin wings. He's going to have the advantage to shove them around. And when it gets to a big pivotal moment, even if it'll be completely exhausting, in a play-in game against New Orleans, LeBron is going to be able to bully his way to whatever he wants, which is a huge weapon that they can go to in like a you know, you know, push this button in case of emergency type of offensive option for the Lakers to be able to manufacture offense in those really, really right uh, 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 like high stakes a single elimination type of environments. The rust thing is what guaranteed. concerns me. And this is the That's last right. thing you'll we'll get $150 in bonus site credit. He played well for a little bit. All you have to do is play. But there was this one kind of sketchy little detail. He's making 
jump shots. He was making over half of his threes in that stretch. I think he shot 47% total from three over the course of that three-game span, from jump shots over the course of that three-game span. And actually, it was the vast majority of his field goals made. I think he had like 24 field goals made in that three-game stretch, and 14 of them were jump shots. That's fool's goal. Russ is not actually a good shooter who just wasn't making shots to make things tough. It was the reality of that situation was he was making shots he doesn't usually make. That was spreading things out for him and making things easier for him. Inevitably, he was going to regress. Well, here you go. He made some jump shots in the first half, but there in the second half, he was struggling and overconfidence got the best of him. He took a really dumb, bad three out of a triple threat on the right wing that didn't make any sense. That's the thing that scares me with Russ is the... When you when we consider the good stretches of Russ to be these games where he makes jump shots, and we all look at each other, even in that locker room, and go, hey, this is what we need. This is what Russ is doing well. This is what we've got to defeat into. Let Russ cook. This is the way he's going to play. Okay, well, that actually doesn't work really well in the long run, in a large sample size. In a large sample size, he's not going to make those jump shots. In a large sample size, he's going to fade in and out of games defensively. In a large sample size, he's going to struggle to finish over length and athleticism around the basket. And so that's where I get concerned. And then guess what? Anthony Davis is coming back probably this week. Uh, Russ is going to get shrunk back down into a smaller role again offensively. And we'll see how that affects his rhythm. You know, that's why, you know, there was a lot of Russ optimism over the course of this last week. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. A lot of that was made jump shots. A lot of that was Anthony Davis being out. A lot of that was him having an easier offensive role, more space to operate, things along those lines. I'm still concerned. But at the end of the day, and this is the last thing I'll say about the Lakers, this is a process. I told you guys when they had this good stretch last week, the only way that this works out is if they treat this next three weeks like a training camp. They have to steadily get better. Frank Vogel just said in the post-game presser, time is running out for us. And he's correct. This team does not have a ton of time to get from where they're at to where they need to be with their habits and all of the details of their identity by the time the season starts. They're running out of time. They just have to continue make incremental to continuing uh, continue to make incremental improvements because this thing doesn't happen overnight. If I took your men's league team and we were like, "Hey, we're going to learn a five-on-five defense," and I was going to have you guys do these rotations and these double teams and things like that, there's no chance in hell, even if you studied the playbook inside and out, that you would be able to do it tomorrow. You have to build habits. You have to t- if you are a bad defensive team in the NBA and you want to establish a solid defensive identity, it can take games and games and games and practices and practices and practices to establish all of that. That's what they have to do. They looked a little better for extended stretches tonight. Their defense in the first half was excellent. That's a longer stretch of good defense than they've had in a long time. So that's a positive, but they have to continue to build on that over the course of the next couple of weeks. All right, let's move on to the Sixers and the Suns. So this is a game that I'm really, really excited to dive into the film tomorrow. Every time I see these straight up like battles of Titans in the NBA in the regular season, there's always all these little details that you can get into when you dive into the film the next day. Like I'm really excited to look closer at the Embiid Aiton matchup. I'm really excited to look closer at how the Suns attacked James Harden on the defensive end of the floor, specifically Chris Paul and pick and roll. Those are little details. I'll probably have a video coming out about that tomorrow. But one of the most interesting things to me about this game has to do with 
a glaring flaw in Philly. Struggling at this point in his career to be the same James Harden that he was in 2018 with Houston. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. He was two for 11 again tonight. He had 14 and seven and nine, which as a stat line doesn't seem horrible, right? Only two turnovers. You're getting nine assists. Like technically he's in a playmaking role. But guys, when we're talking about the top of the East, when we're comparing Philly to Milwaukee with Giannis and all the defending champion pedigree, when we're talking about Brooklyn and everything that they've got cooking, they destroyed Miami yesterday. That's a game that we're not going to get to tonight that I'll get to later this week. That's the, the, the Brooklyn's got something cooking right now. Okay, and then Miami's in a down slump right now, but they're not going to be an easy out. Boston looks freaking incredible. So in order for Philly to have a chance, James Harden has to be a superstar. James Harden has to be the James Harden from Houston in 2018. That's how good he has to be. And he simply has not been. I've talked about a lot on this show. What is so important with James Harden is his ability to beat people off the dribble and get all the way to the basket. Everything else in his game depends on it. If he has you off balance getting to the basket, that's what allows him to get sufficient separation on his step back so that he can go straight up and down, have good balance, and knock that shot down. Him getting straight line drives to the basket is what opens up all of his high-end playmaking game. That's how he gets his 15, 16 assist nights when he's living in the paint. That's what gets him to the foul line. That's how he ends up with those 30, 35-point point totals is getting to the foul line getting to the basket everything is predicated on that but for whatever reason and again phoenix is a very good defensive team with a lot of length but they have some guys you can attack they have guys like landry shaman and devin booker and campaign and even chris paul with the size advantage there are guys on that team that you can attack and james harden just is not capable of breaking them down that's an issue that's something that scares me for that team For a playoff series, like I always say, when you're talking about the next level, 
the top tier teams, which are the guys you're going to play in the second round of the playoffs on. And if you struggle in the regular season, you might face them early, CC the Lakers. But when you're facing those high-end defensive teams, you have to have somebody who can warp the defense. If you let five good defensive players stay home and you play one-on-one all game long, you're going to get your butt kicked. That's like what's going on with the Celtics. You have to have somebody who can get that first defensive rotation, that first team, that help side, because the only way you're going to succeed against those types of defenses is by getting them in rotation. And if James Harden can't beat people at the point of attack, if James Harden can't do his thing up on the top of the key to break down the defense, they are going to struggle to score against Milwaukee. They're going to struggle to score against Brooklyn. They're going to struggle to score against Miami. And they're they sure as hell are going to struggle to score against Boston. That's a huge issue. If it's a hamstring issue, then maybe it, it gets better over the course of the next couple of weeks and he can get into a peak physical condition and restore this by the postseason. If not, if this is a decline, if this is what the new James Harden is, then Philly can't win this thing. They simply don't have enough perimeter talent. The irony is Chris Paul still looks amazing. 19 points and 14 assists again tonight, only one turnover. Nine for 15 from the field. It's wild because after the the Houston Rockets experience, I bet you if you gave a bunch of truth serum to James Harden, he would have told you, so long, Chris Paul. Get Russ in here. He's the younger, better version of you. You can go right off into the sunset with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Fast forward a couple of years. Here we are in 2022. Chris Paul's arguably the better player. He's taken way better care of his body ever since the hamstring injury in 2018. Allegedly, Chris Paul's gone vegan. That's been a huge part of his recent physical kind of renaissance. Chris Paul is a testament to maximizing this phase of his career, while James Harden is a testament to minimizing this phase of his career. And as a result, a significantly better player in James Harden is arguably below Chris Paul as a basketball player right now, which is absolutely insane. One last note on the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker talked about him a lot over the course of the MVP race. I don't think he's the MVP. I don't think Booker, Morant, or Tatum can be the MVP because of how good their teams are overall. They're just better players, having better seasons, having nearly as much success with less talent around them at the top. That's why I don't think they're in the running. That said, Devin Booker is playing unbelievable basketball right now. He's starting to look like a bona fide top 10-ish player in the NBA. He's putting himself with Morant and Tatum in that conversation for being right around the ninth or 10th best player in the league. In in his last 12 games, he's averaging 31 points per game on 65.4% true shooting. Just unbelievable stuff from Devin Booker. A huge part of this is him developing as a three-point shooter. That was always one of his weaknesses relative to the rest of his game. He's obviously a dominant mid-range scorer, has all sorts of crafty finishes around the basket, but he's become so dynamic from the three-point line that he's getting comfortable shots everywhere on the floor. Devin Booker is amazing. Again, I still think the Phoenix Suns are the favorite to win the title at this point. All right, moving on to the Wolves and the Celtics. So once again, the Minnesota Timberwolves lose to a team that's at full strength. I did this a video about this yesterday. In their previous 26 games since January 30th, the Timberwolves were 19-7. and seven. That was the third best win percentage in the entire NBA. Over that span, they were third in offense, sixth in defense. A huge part of that was what they were doing in transition. They lead the league in pace. 
over that span. They're second in the league in fast break points per games per game. So they're getting stops and they're getting out in transition and running. And they finally got a signature win. They beat all these good teams, but there was always one of the best players on the other team sitting out for whatever reason. Well, they finally got a chance to beat a team at full strength in the Dallas Mavericks the other day, and they did so. They controlled the game throughout and they got a win. Problem is, Dallas is a good team. Boston is a great team, and they absolutely, utterly dominated them. What have I been telling you guys is my biggest fear with the Minnesota Timberwolves? It's their guard play. Well, Anthony Edwards played well tonight. Kudos to him. He showed up athletically against a very athletic team. He rose to that occasion. D'Angelo Russell, four points on six shots tonight. It's just they're not going to be able to get enough out of their backcourt, in my opinion, to consistently break out, break down these top-tier defenses. I wanted to talk about just how dominant the Boston Celtics have been in March. So they completely – they uh, uh, the month of March, March starts with them dominating the Hawks at home. Then they play the Grizzlies at home, beat them by 13, dominant win. Then they play the Celtics at home and win. That's the game where Tatum outplays Kevin Durant. Then they go into the into Charlotte and dominate the Hornets. Then they come home and blow out the Pistons. Then they lose that really close game to the Dallas Mavericks at home. Okay, 95-92 did a video breakdown of the game. Really, really close game at the end. They were double-teaming Jason Tatum all over the floor. Tatum, uh, uh, their teammates just missed some shots. Tatum actually got a couple of decent looks, and he missed those as well. Whatever, they lost a, a close game to the Mavericks. Then they go right back to beating the crap out of everybody. They beat the Warriors by 22. Then they beat the Kings on the road by 29. Then they went into Denver, blew out the Nuggets by 20. Then they got a win on the road in Oklahoma City against the Thunder. Then they utterly demolished the Utah Jazz by 28 the other night on national television. And then today, they take that Timberwolves team that, again, has been the third best winning percentage in the entire NBA over the course of the last two months and beat the shit out of them and beat them by 22. I keep tell, talking to you guys about how they were winning all these games. When I did our first power rankings and I had the Celtics that close to the top, I told you guys that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum weren't even shooting well. And in the time from that power rankings to the next one, Jason Tatum got hot and they were blowing everybody out. Well, guess what? Jalen Brown, last five games, 28.4 points per game, 59% from the field, 52% from three, 72% from the line on 5.4 three-point attempts per game. So now Jalen Brown's cooking too, and they're kicking everybody's ass. This is It's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens here in this postseason because there's this other element here too that I think people are over. This team has a shit ton of playoff experience. Jason Tatum has gone toe-to-toe with LeBron James in a Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals and was making big plays in the fourth quarter. Jalen Brown has been in a million playoff games over the course of the span. Al Horford has been in a bunch of big playoff games. Marcus Smart has been in a bunch of big playoff games. This team has a ton of 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 pedigree in that department and everything that's telling uh, everything that this season is telling us is that they very well could be the favorite. Now, I don't think they have nearly as much offensive talent as a team like Phoenix does. So I have to go with the team like Phoenix when I'm picking the NBA champion because I think they're a little bit more versatile. I think they have a few more punches, a couple a couple more directions they can go. So I'm leaning towards Phoenix as my favorite. But every single day, Boston just inches a little bit closer. 
And I'm, there's this question I keep having. Is there a chance that we're going to look back at this thing in the middle of June and go like, man, how did we not know the Celtics were just going to run over everybody? They have the best defense in the league. Nobody can score on them in the half court when they get set. And then on offense, they've got these two big versatile forwards that can attack mismatches all game long. Look at that down the stretch of that game. You saw, or you saw, or in the first half of that game, especially late second quarter, you saw Jalen Brown just picking on these small Minnesota guards. That's the advantage that they have. They have these, their offensive players are big and can rely on physicality in those environments as well. Boston looks incredibly good. Really quickly before we get out of here tonight, I just wanted to t- uh, just talk about that race at the top of the East because I think it's important over the next couple of weeks for on a couple of different fronts. So, as you can see, Boston has the one seed at this exact moment in time. Miami's right there. Milwaukee's right there. Philadelphia's right there. They're all within a half game of each other. So it's, it's essentially could go either way here down the stretch. Boston has the third toughest remaining schedule by opponent winning percentage. The Bucs have the seventh toughest remaining schedule. Miami has the 19th toughest remaining schedule. And Philly has the second easiest remaining schedule. Now for Boston, that just doesn't seem to matter. They're beating anybody, anyway, everybody anyway. So Boston, I would probably make the favorite to get the one seed. But keep an eye on Philly. Because I talked about in my video that I did on Saturday that or on, on Friday that the MVP was kind of up for grabs there for Giannis if the Bucs could get the one seed. But the Bucs have a tough schedule remaining. And they lost again yesterday. They are struggling to to uh, a Drew, a Drew Holiday was out for that game, of course, but which has been an issue this entire season. But the Bucs have a chance, but they have a tough schedule. Look at Philly. If they, if they have an easy schedule here down the stretch and they just clean house on those games, you could see Philly get the one seed, which is important for a couple of different reasons. The same case I made for Giannis for MVP getting the one seed also applies for Joel Embiid. So if the Sixers can eke out enough wins over this easy schedule down the stretch and they get the one seed, I could see a very strong case for Joel MVP, uh, Joe, uh, Joel Embiid for MVP, and then home court advantage. I talk all the time about how these playoff series are decided by the smallest of margins. And one mismatch here, one guy gets hurt here, one role player goes down there, one pivotal game on a home floor versus on the road could be the difference between one team advancing and another team advancing. And obviously, this is second round home court advantage on on uh, uh, at stake here. If Philly finishes first, they get home court in the second round and in the conference finals. If they finish fourth, which is where they're currently sitting, now they have to go on the road to Boston in the second round. Now it, they have to play potentially the Milwaukee Bucks with Milwaukee having game five and seven at home. That gets a lot tougher. So just keep an eye on that down the stretch. It could go either way, and I think it's really relevant for both the MVP race and for home court advantage over the playoff run. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. I sincerely apologize for the technical difficulties there at the beginning. We'll get it all sorted out and edited for you guys later today. We will be back on Tuesday for the next Laker game. We'll be going right after the final buzzer then. As always, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support, and we'll see you guys in a couple of days. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, 
and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility.